Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the KSD Late Night Movie. Tonight we'll be presenting Seconds. I know the big opening isn't on here, but this movie is a long one, so I'm trying to shave as much time as I can because the bastards have got to put commercials in and stuff. And then Carl has his 30-minute uh, promo after the show for uh, Carl's Bongs and Cheese. This is the business. <laughs> what the fuck's going on? Uh, I'm okay with that. You know, it, we're starting a new business, Bongs and Cheese. Uh, I can't think yeah. of a better, better duo except maybe uh, yeah. BDSM Bank and uh, Whips, but that's beside the point. Smoke. Yeah. At Carl's Bungs and Cheese, we say, if you're going to smoke that Buddha, make sure to have a nice slice of Gouda. A Gouda. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny as fuck, man. Tonight, we're dealing with what may be, and this is talking big, the most bleakest, depressing sci-fi film of the 60s. Yeah, there, there, there's definitely a uh, there's there's definitely an argument for that one because this one is friggin' bleak, people. Seriously, this was so bleak that Paramount didn't know what to do with it. The, the trailer is good, but if you watch the trailer, they make it more like uh, a spy thriller. Seconds are always watching you. Seconds are going to get you. Seconds are everywhere. Yep. The the, the interesting thing about this is this is another movie that uh, Kirk Douglas wanted to do. And uh, uh, it didn't come to fruition with Kirk. And and so they went to... uh, uh, Basically, what happened was Rock Hudson learned about it and really wanted to do it, and nobody thought he could until he finally And we'll get into his reasons why he wanted to do it, which you probably already know, uh, later in the commentary when we started. Yeah. Yeah. But he definitely loved it. I will be getting into why the posters knew their audience but the audience didn't know they knew their audience. So a certain section of the audience didn't catch on till later. And then they watched it and they're like, oh, shit, this Damn. is made for us. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and we'll talk all about that. And, of course, it has to do with Rock Hudson and uh, uh, why he wanted to roll. But the one thing I, I want to push before we go is it's not just Rock Hudson let's just keep in mind that John Randolph, Jeff Corey and and uh, um, Will Gear were hired for this film because they had worked with Frankenheimer in the 50s and they were all blacklisted okay and this was some of their first work that they were able to do after being blacklisted so you know take a look at that too there's another angle here which I find very interesting. Which one of those were the one that was mentioned that was the one mentioned at the Oscar? 
Uh, the, 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 you're talking about the guy, you're talking about Elia Kazan, who who was uh, given an yeah, award. Yeah, and one of those Oscar. guys' names was yelled. I think it was Jeff Corey, wasn't it? I'm not sure, but there were a bunch of names called. Well, I'm going to say huh? this, and it was an anonymous person in the audience, and it says, Jeff Corey says, go fuck yourself. You son of a bitch! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we never knew who it was, but five people wanted to take, didn't say, they said they knew who did it, but they wished they could because Ellie, cause, well, Ellie Kazan is a piece of shit, but let's not get into that. Well, he named names. And trust me, a lot of people name names. I mean, it's a depth. Tough situation all around, but but yeah. the one thing concerning this film is these three actors uh, uh, were hired and uh, basically basically as a fuck you, and I think it's a wonderful thing. And when we get to Jeff Corey and his one scene, I'm gonna go nuts because I freaking love this scene. And we're right at the Paramount logo. Yeah. Are looking for the audio remote, and we're right at the Paramount logo where it fades in. And thank God for Criterion for having a wonderful Blu-ray and DVD of this out, because Carl and me—and this is weird looking at our ages—we didn't see this movie around '86 for Carl and '89 for me. Yep. And we'll get into why it took us that goddamn long to see it. And we're getting ready to go in five, four, three, two, one, hit play. Okay, right now we're seeing one of the biggest reasons why this movie had hassles, and that's the Paramount logo. And I want to say this, and this goes to our commentary on Tuesday. Paramount hired the guy who designed this. And they thought Phase 4 was going to be a normal movie. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. This Uh, credit sequence will fuck you up from the second star. You're just watching this, just... What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, really. And that music, that? too. Let's not forget that music. Oh, God, yeah. And just amazing. Richard Anderson, Murray Hamilton, John Randolph, Will Gear, Jeff Corey. But, yeah, I love it. They're just like, like three ears, four lips. You're just like... What the fuck is going on? And now we're going in his ear. Yep. And there's your your photography by James Wong Howe. Wasn't this one of his first uh, leads? Uh, Who? James Wong Howe. Oh, no, no, no. He'd been around for quite a while. Here, here, I'll give it to you in a a minute, too. I have to look, look it up. 
And this movie was set during one of the most dangerous times in film history, because change was in the air during this time. You had, over in England, you had If, Alfie, Georgie Girl, Don't forget Victim, too, and, and and you had a bunch of American films that were pushing the, the uh, uh, thing. And Louis John Carlino, we need to talk about him. That man gave us so many great scripts, it's not even funny. And what's sad is it's kind of hard to find the original novella this is based on nowadays. Yeah, by, by John Ely. But, yeah, in America, oh, we can't forget Blowout, but in America we had the Manchurian Candidate pulled from release. This pulled from release. And And look at that. Okay, this sequence, wait a second, this sequence, which now you're in Grand Central. Notice how the camera is. Camera focuses just on the face, and then you'll see a hand. That hand is from Joseph Campanella. But all this is, is, is done while people aren't even realizing it's being filmed. Seriously, look at this. This is pretty amazing. Oh, God, yeah, with the camera on his back and stuff, yeah. Yep. I'm actually glad that we screwed up and we pretty much watched this and Phase 4 back-to-back because visually these are companion films. Oh, yeah. Now, of course, this one is, is, is James Wong Howe. And, and, and this, as much as this was reviled upon release, I'm sorry, the goddamn, he should have won an award uh, uh, for, for cinematography. Another yeah. thing you want to look, okay, so one of the other things. So how was he able to get these shots? Okay, so in the background, they have a swimsuit competition. Okay, that everyone's gathering around so they could get these shots while everyone else is is being uh, 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 watching that. You know, it's it's. Uh, yeah, you know uh, how they got those low shots. Yeah, I do. It was in an attaché case. And they put in the shakier ones is James Wong Howe laying on one of those car dollies that you would roll under oh, a yeah. car. To get under it. Okay, so you never see the guy's face, but the person that handed him the note is Joseph Campanella. Very good uh, 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 character actor, ended up on Law and Order for many, many years. Yeah. And I love how he purposely doesn't tell you what the fuck is going on. Nowadays, they yeah. would explain what is going on. They would treat you like you're stupid. This is another one of the films, like I said, with uh, Monday and a steel helmet. We don't give a fuck if you keep up. Yeah. Same with phase four. Don't care. We don't care. You got you, you to gotta be smart to watch this. Now, one of the reasons that John Randolph was... Uh, chosen to do this role. Now, one of the things is that they were actually thinking 
of one actor to do both roles. But when Mark Hudson got the part, he said, we should really have two actors do it. One for the first part, one for the second part. And so they looked at John Randolph and they felt that he had enough attributes to look like Hudson older. That's why they hired him. One of the reasons, anyway. Another one, of course... And what's one of the best ways you can tell a smart actor? Okay, tell me. He knows what he can't do. Right. Look at that sense of worry. And the shot, you know, I mean, he... Frankenheimer is doing some amazing things here in the editing, too. And notice, it's all silent. There's not one word being said. No. Like I said, this was a risky time. We had a medium cool, uh, just all sorts of American films, too, which there were... They could take risks. Uh, who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf on content? Uh, and even Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, even at the end of the movie, you don't know what the hell's going on. Oh, yeah. And this really is what they used to call suburban hell. Uh, wasn't Updike who gave us that term? Uh, was it Updike or was it Heller? It was one of the two. I think it was Updike. With his rabbit series, where he talked right. about going back into suburban hell, the same people going in the same car, doing the same thing every day, right. having the same conversations. And she, in her performance, the guy, girl who plays his wife is very understated. Okay, that would be Frances Reed. Yeah. I'm trying to bring her. And she's great, but it's harder to be in a flatter role than it is to be in a showy role. Right. And this whole, so this is all leading up to what happens, and, and and it's very understated. But yet he he deals with the tension by those editing cuts and so on and so forth. You'll see more and more here what happens, and and just keep. You can see he's he's worried. He's smoking a cigarette. Yeah. And Carl, mm-hmm. what year did queer theory really start in film? Uh, I would say probably early 60s with uh, anger, 62, 63. Yeah, this is a film that once you apply that into it, everything reads completely different. Because you're seeing John Landoff as a person which we would call nowadays on the down low. Well, no, 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 no. I disagree completely. Disagree completely. 
I'm not saying no. it's overtly. I'm talking the, talking to a man no. secretive in the middle of the night. Okay, what this is dealing with, as far as the novel is concerned and everything, is the sense that he's a middle-aged man who's dissatisfied with his life. He's bored, and he gets this phone call, which we've got to now. And yeah. it's not about any gay theory. This is not about gay theory. Where that comes in is later... When, 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 of course, we learn, of course, with, with um, uh, Rock Hudson that he was gay. And this is one of the reasons he understood that living a double life. Okay? Yeah. It's not that John Randolph at this point, the gay is well, very... Well, I'm not saying his character is supposed to be gay. I'm just saying that it fits. Um, uh, it fits you know, more with the new life. It yeah. fits more later in the film. Because at that point, he's he's trying to live up to a lie. Right now, he's not living See? a lie. It's My not point. It gets changed. The only other film that really dealt with that in a way is uh, Andy Milligan's Vapors, where it has the guy going to the gay bathhouse, and he's like, oh, I'm just going here because I want to take a steam bath. I'm not into the gay thing. It's just this is the only place that you can go to get a steam bath. It's more about the lies that you say to yourself, you know. Right. His lies is that my life is boring, my wife is boring. Now, Frances Reed, what other movie was she in, science fiction film? I don't know what. The Andromeda Strain. She had a small role in The Andromeda Strain. And look at the way she's acting. She's looking like a person who has just found out that her husband is cheating on her in your basic melodrama. And the Mm -hmm. fact that they're in two separate beds says something, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Remember, the Hays Code, that part of it was mm-hmm. dead by now. That's true. Because the first time you watch it, you don't see what she's doing. And the second time, she's trying to reach out to him. Oh, yeah. And this is where I say the gay theory comes in. Not the wink, wink, hey, look, we're being clever. The sad tragedy of someone who is, who was gay but is trying to keep that white, middle-class, suburban lifestyle going because that was the way you were supposed to do back then. You grew up. You got married. You had kids. look on her face and everything that's going on here is so you know he switches to both I mean look at the way he's acting to her touch yeah well, he's I definitely... could never know how hard it would be trying to live that fake of a life oh tell me about it 
I, I saw a number of friends of mine who, who I knew were gay but still put on the thing because of their parents or that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, it's, it's rough. It's a rough But Rock situation. Hudson did, and he has one of my favorite lines ever. It was like, I live this life. I am this man. Yeah. And that's another reason why the bathhouse themselves became popular. Because they were private clubs where they could go and breathe. And it was private. What? It was private. It was... Uh, yeah. You could go in and nobody would ask your name. Uh, it was all... Uh, 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 you know, it was all surreptitiously. You know, nobody nobody uh, asked real names or or really pushed on any of that. Yeah, and it wasn't about sex. It was going out and hanging out with other <laughs> gays. So here he's in a tailor shop. Because he's told to go. And if you look up your history, the the underground clubs really did have this kind of elaborate ways to find out where they were going to be that night. Remember Carter said that... Uh, Hellfire Club was like that. Oh, yeah. So he goes there, goes to a slaughterhouse. Think about this. He goes to a to a uh, 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 dry cleaners, a slaughterhouse, and look what's going to happen to him. Think about that for a second. Yeah. I and that. what was another name uh, for the district where the male prostitutes worked out in New York City? Well, that's the meatpacking. The meat rack or the Tenderloin District. Right. Well, that's Tenderloin is San Francisco. In New York, it's Yeah, but still. <laughs> well, you want to go get you some meat, buddy? You got to come here. <laughs> but still, I love you. Still in confusion. Oh, and if you go haven't on. seen this movie before and you're listening to us, Turn this the fuck off right now. Right now. <laughs> and watch the movie. Then watch yes. this. Sorry for not mentioning that at the first. You concur on that thing? 
But this is really interesting. So, so when they did the trailers, they, of course, talked about it being, you know, sort of a spy. You said this, you talked to me earlier today about it's like a spy movie. That's how they set up the trailers. That's all this sequence here. And if you was going to a sex club in New York City before it became a little more legal, and I'm not talking about homosexual, I'm talking straight, gay, S&M, you would have to go through these insane measures to go there. And you would have to know someone who knew someone who knew someone who knew someone. Mm-hmm. There is so much stuff in this movie that they couldn't talk about back then, so I can see why its intended audience, in a way, would ignore this. You're making a movie for the audience that has to go, well, I don't know what the hell this movie is about. And I love this corridor. It's the same way that Sam Fuller shot the corridor in Shock Corridor. You know. Mm-hmm. And here's another unanswered question I gotta ask your opinion on, Carl. Okay. When he gets knocked out here in the three seconds, do they move him to a different building? That's a good question. I will look at that here momentarily. I'm just saying, because what would be the use of knocking him out and him waking up in the same place? Well, there's a reason for that, okay, which they do show. Now, you know, they could still change places, but there's a reason for knocking them out. It's not moving. Okay. Well, it'd be probably easier to get his measurements. Mm-hmm. Well, you'll see what happens. You may not remember. Yeah, I've seen this about two or three times before. I'm just saying, with the elaborate no. me- security measures they take. So what's what's happening to him right now? Because you see him. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, see? That's why they knock them out. They're film. Well, this is supposed to be LSD. I love that they're filming a sex scene in this movie, so he's like, okay, let's make this into the strangest motherfucking thing we can. But what they're doing is they're filming this scene and they're setting them up so they can yeah. blackmail them more. What video That's from the exact- 1980s? Use this scene as a visual reference. I have no idea. Tom Petty's don't come around here no more. Okay. Oh, that's They use the floor, the odd angles. And, of course, all those odd angles in that are, are all James Wong Howe. Hey, don't don't diss the carpenters. 
No, that's true. Everyone said and that room was impossible to walk in. Could you believe? Could you believe that actually trying to walk in a room built like that? Oh yeah, really. But you had them crazy houses that were built like that, and the kid that was impossible to walk straight in. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. There, 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 there are buildings that are set up like that where it's almost like they're walking upside down. See, he's uh, in a or, different or, building because the elevator doesn't have any buttons now. It didn't have any buttons the last time. Yeah, when he went up it and came out. Here's the room. Okay, this is important. This is the room. This is the room. Now, why is this important? You'll get to understand that. And there's the what's his name, too. Mm -hmm. Right, Murray Hamilton. Doesn't that remind you of going to work, Carl? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Pointless jack-off busy work. <laughs> okay, here we go. Jeff Corey. Okay, this scene is just amazing. And the reason it's amazing that Jeff Corey basically just improvises. Check this out. I want this recipe, goddammit. What about you? What? Say that again? I want this recipe. Yes. We're not there yet. Yeah. But yes. Uh, here we go. This is beautiful. By the end of the scene, what he does right here is the biggest fuck up he does in the whole film. <laughs> They got cornbread, Carl. They got cornbread. I know. Tears are coming to my eyes. See, the ticket was just supposed to stand there. But he, he improvises and then he starts eating it. And it's beautiful. Jeff Corey was, was, um, uh, he was blacklisted, uh, and he was named uh, by Elia Kazan and didn't work for a number of years, but he 
survived by becoming one of the premier acting teachers on the West Coast. Okay? Now, and I've got to tell you something. When you have all this dialogue and you're eating, that's not easy. Forgive me, I'm drooling over here, people. Oh, right here's where it gets me. He gets me right here. <laughs> baking cheese. He's baking cheese. Yeah. Here. <laughs> I love him. He's just sitting there like, maybe I should ate the damn chicken. <laughs> For a movie as bleak as it is, it's got some great humor in it. At this particular scene, it's just... Yeah. The question of death selection may be the most important decision of your life. One of the greatest lines ever. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. What most people don't notice is how well oiled this fucking machine that they're running is. We're not at the start of this game. No, no, not at all. And, and, and that is something he doesn't get into. And it would, would have been wonderful to see a sequel on how this started. Because... Because this is this is a major major uh, uh, conspiracy here. This is really scary stuff. Well, there is uh, certain things that do explain it, and we'll have to wait till later until that certain thing shows up in the movie. Right. Because in a way, this is a sequel to another movie. If uh, what. Uh, Frankenheimer has said, well, Frankenheimer has said, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, you and I disagree with that, but I understand exactly where you're going, and we'll get to him. <laughs> Frankenheimer we said will. so in the, Frankenheimer said so in the commentary. The fuck? <laughs> I'm fucked. No, that's actually what he mouthed. The fuck? <laughs> okay, here we go. Will Gear. For someone who played the loving, sweet grandpa in there, 
He is so fucking scary right here. Easier to go forward when you know you can't go back. And there's another thing, too. If this process is so wonderful and so perfect and gives you back your youth so good, why, why is do the old man to... not taking it? Taking it? Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing, if it's so good, Matt, why do they have to... To, to blackmail you to do it. Because they're playing all the angles. You want a chicken out? No, I just want that chicken. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and I love the hat. Yeah, the little beautiful little things, a baking cheese right in it. I'm sorry. Yeah, but that's right Jeff Corey's only seen in the movie, and he is just magnificent. And I warned, I warned Stephen when we were going to do this that I was going to go ape shit over that scene. Hell, Prince is not even over right Will Deer, who is just as good. Well, I think Princess is looking at me like, "Hey, Dad, let's go get some chicken." <laughs> <laughs> and I love how he keeps uh, the client in the back, in the foreground. And Will Gurrier in the background. You know who Will Gear is taking as his inspiration for the way he's acting, don't you? I always thought Lyndon Johnson. Walter Houston and all that money can buy. That you know what? I yeah, I can see that actually. Well, this is a Faustian movie. Oh yeah, it's definitely Faustian. Uh, done more science fiction. Um, you know, the one to see it anyway. Uh, wonderful, wonderful film. Um, and John Randolph. And I love uh, how he gets him to talk about how miserable his life is, everything mm-hmm. bad that's going on, you know. Mm-hmm. He's like, you really talk to your wife? Are you really so happy at home? Seduction. Yep. But John John Randolph gives the performance of his career here because much like Rock Cutson, who we'll talk about in a bit, he, this was his way to get back at UAC and, and destroying his career. And of course he's doing it with someone he's worked with before. You know, and so we talk about, you know, the situation with Rock Hudson in this film, and we forget about these three actors, that this was really their way of getting back, and 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 it's a wonderful thing to see. And Randolph just has so much uh, uh, emotion on his face as he's doing this. 
Well, just think about what Will Gear is saying and what they said to him in the UAC hearings. Just give yeah. us some names, exactly. and everything will be all right. You'll be able to go home. You'll get your career, and you'll feel like a good American. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that line. This is what happens to the dreams of youth. Yeah. Will Gear is so fucking good. Oh, he is. Time for a change. How this movie got passed over back then is God is my witness. I don't know. That's because because people actually booed this and walked out of this at con. They literally walked out. They booed. Some people threw stuff at the screen. I mean, this was not. This was like the premiere of Rite of Spring, where people almost rioted when this premiere. So this movie time. hit too close to the bone. Oh, oh, it does. Agreed. I love how he switches from one little bit to the seductive devil to the good old country boy. Yep. You know. Yeah, my daddy told me, just sign. And you're forgetting one little part. If the Jeff Corey stuff didn't work, I mean, what's his name? John Randolph stuff didn't work. Mm-hmm. Then the Rock Hudson stuff wouldn't work. Exactly. So now you're seeing actual footage of uh, of uh, 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 an operation. This is actual yeah, footage. Oh, and here's something funny. Before the movie started, they studied each other. They they walked around with each other for 24 hours, learning. Well, learning they learning each other's uh, quirks and tics. Like how uh, Rock Hudson held a cigarette. How uh, what the other guy walked. Now, this is really something. Uh, and by the time this came out, Rock Hudson was starving, not only to do a film that spoke to his gayness. He was sick of doing tele-talk films. He was sick of, of, yeah. of working with Doris Stone. He of all, all this. He wanted to challenge himself. Right. And this movie pretty much wraps up everything except for one question, which we are putting on the shelf until uh, 
the end of the film. Yeah. There is Oscar Goldman for the Six Million Dollar Man. God, he's the world's most angriest plastic surgeon. You fucking idiot! Don't you fucking try to talk, you stupid son of a bitch! What the fuck? Where's his bedside manner? He looks like he can not only heal you, he can beat the shit out of you, too, if you don't heal right. Nice. What do you think? Absolutely. And yes, they visually quoted this scene in uh, John Woo's face-off when they pretty much had the same scene. No, absolutely. This movie has been visually quoted so much for a film that was lost. I love Rock Hudson's reaction to seeing his face. Oh, yeah. Just amazing. So the actor who's playing the doctor is Richard Anderson. Um character actor, you see him a lot. Yeah, his biggest role was, uh, like I said, Oscar Goldman in The Six Million Dollar Man. Absolutely. And he was good in there. Oh, yeah. I had his action figure as a kid. (laughs) Oh, and speaking of a sequel, what movie... Is this reportedly a sequel too? Because of the comeback of a character. That would be, of course, the Manchurian Candidate. Yeah. And yes, Frankenheimer did confirm that this is the same character. He said when the shit hit the fan at the end of the Manchurian Candidate. <laughs> He hit the fucking road and got a job with them. He uh, defected to the U.S. and got his wife and daughters over here. Because if he knows he has the exact same job he did the Manchurian Candidate. Well, there's one other thing I want to talk about here. Take a look at Rod Hudson. He's not the young Rock Hudson yet. Notice that the hair is gray still. He's got furrows. 
there's they're still going to work on him. You'll see. Now, when when we get and do you know why he brought him back as the same character for the Manchurian Candidate? No, tell me. Because he's that fucking good. Yeah. Every one of his improvs in the Manchurian Candidate is great. You like this. Yeah, the whole thing about going to Macy's. No, he's not a critic of painting. You are accepted. You will be in your own new dimension. God damn, is this supposed to be happy? Now, notice his hair at this point is black. <laughs> notice he looks more like like he did. Like they continued <laughs> to work on Yeah. How did you like it? You're all alone right. in this world. Isn't that marvelous? That part where he says that you don't have to prove yourself scares the living shit out of me. What about you? Carl? I guess Carl has fucking left the building or he's coming back. What the hell?
There we go. Thank you. I was kicked off. You got raptured. <laughs> I got raptured. <laughs> but did you hear what I said? What I said was, and what's your response, as an artist, as a podcaster, and someone who writes, just the fear fact that you don't have to prove yourself scares the living shit out of me. Yeah, really. I mean, really, I have to prove myself. I can get my ass out of bed every morning. My name is John. I guess. <laughs> what the hell was that all about? Well, they're setting him up that people know him and so on and so forth. Hey, he doesn't really that's Clancy Brown's father, Carl. Yep. <laughs> God, I couldn't live in something that sterile. What about you? Agreed. Agreed. And that that's part of the deal here. Okay, this is what really gets him uh, going later, is that everything seems to be so controlled. And again, I start to really talk about... Hold on, Steve. Hold on. Uh, Listen to the music right now. It's making a point. It's it's like uh, this this, uh, fugue that's so controlled. It's it's an amazing setup, and, and, and his camera work here is fantastic. And nowadays, there are people who buy bookshelves full of books like that just to make themselves look smart. Absolutely. I actually seen a list that said ten book, top ten books to have on your bookshelf to make you look smart. Oh, yeah. Guess what? One yeah, of them is driving the If it wasn't for people wanting to have books to make them look smart, Thomas Pynchon wouldn't have sold as many copies <laughs> yeah. as he did. Absolutely. Agreed. And I really do miss those days where people would read books to make themselves look smart. Mm-hmm. You know why? Why? They would read them. Yep. Very true. And look, Very he's true. still the same sad sack, morose mother father as he was five minutes ago. Yeah, before the. You still don't. You know, I mean, let's face it. If you were given this opportunity and you were, you were, you had to take it and you did this, you'd be so out of your depth right now. You wouldn't know what to do. And I'm too much of a control freak to ever let that happen. Couldn't, I couldn't do this. I'd, I'd let them blackmail me. 
kid, if it, it was good tape, I'd sell the motherfucker. I would believe in the power of Rule 33. Okay, and what is Rule 33? Because I know 34, but 33. Oh, Rule 34, which is no matter what it is, there is someone out there jacking off to it or yep, killing that's off. true. <laughs> yeah, look when they tried to blackmail the stars with their porn tapes. What did they do? <laughs> Make money! But then, if his secret, Rock Hudson's got out that he was a closeted gay man, that would have ruined his career. And that's very true. And as we look at this now, and we see this role, we see see as you transpire and see what happens here. You can see yeah. exactly when he wanted this role. Because Do you think your dad would have watched living. a million movies with a guy named Marion Davis? Uh, he did, but not with that name, of course, and that would be John Wayne. Yeah. Oh, it's easy to say you're going to be a painter. It's easy to put a painting on a painting. But it's not easy to do it right. And it's not easy to put on a face and be something that you're really not. That's the whole point here. Yeah, or as I say, you can change everything about yourself except yourself. Mm hmm. That's true. You could stop drinking coffee. You could stop eating cheese. You could stop smoking. Would yeah, none of those are going to happen. Well, let me finish. Would that mean that you would not want them? Oh, hell. <laughs> of course I would want them. Yeah. Notice how alone he is. Oh, God, At a yeah. table with nobody else. It's just like, why do you have all that? And he has this wonderful... You know, he's just so alone. He has this beautiful house. He has this beautiful pool. He has everything that... He has the dream. Yeah, but the dream isn't isn't good enough. And that's part of what the deal never is. And never is. Well, what stories do we talk about in the podcast? Do we talk about the great shows that turned out beautiful where the sound is perfect? No. We talk about the ones with the major fuck ups and laugh our asses off. <laughs> well, we talk talk about the ones where our guest hijacked it and we had no way of controlling it. Yeah. Those are the fun stories, not the where stuff goes right. So now we're going to be introduced to a character by the name of Salome Jens. That's the actress. And uh, she's very, very good. And, and um, such a... 
God, the look on their two faces when they look at each other. Yep. You can tell that she she and he is starving for human contact. Right. Well, she never did have the, the 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 big career that one expected of her, but she was always a good actress. Yeah, but Charles Laughlin could be considered a perfect director. Mm-hmm. She's still she's still uh, acting to this day. Yeah. She did, uh, she was in Star Trek Beach Space Nine for a number of uh, things. She was in L.A. Roy's Super Bowl. She played Martha Kent, Superboy. Well, they asked uh, Guillermo del Toro once what film was he most proud of, and he said his first film. And they asked him why, he said, because I got it done. Yeah. But, yeah, what I mean when I say Charles Lawton is a perfect director is he directed one film, and it was great. He didn't do anything else. No. And it is really good seeing Rock Hudson basically playing himself. This movie is all about what I call the middle-class suburban nightmare. And it, and, I, and this is another reason why I look at all of the gays and blacks and why the fuck do they want this? You can't even answer that, can you, Carl? No, I can't. I can't because it's the idealization of what every American thinks of the American dream, you know, the house, the picket fence. And unfortunately, not only is that generally not attainable, basically, who wants it? I mean, there are some people, you know, and certainly if you take a look at the LGBTQ community, there's this this sort of division between those that want that sort of middle class and others that, that turn their back on it. But this is also, again, this whole movie is about having a fake face. Yeah. And if this movie teaches you anything, it should teach you to be true to yourself and not and not play act, not try to be something somebody else that you want. You and to realize that if you're in a fucked up situation and everything is fucked up, it might be because you're fucked up. Yeah. That's the hardest thing to get someone to do is to get them to take blame for their own fuck-ups. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You have to take responsibility. And, And really what happens is 
he's put in a position that when he has to take responsibility, he can't. And it's the first time where he's being true to himself. And, and it, it costs him dearly, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Well, look at the song of Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville. People, when they listen to that, what do they hear? They hear Margaritaville. Oh, such a nice place. You know, we'll have margaritas all day. Yeah, but if you really <clears throat> listen to it, it's about an alcoholic realizing that it's his own fault that he's a drunk. Yeah. So I want to get back to something here that we haven't talked about. Okay. How big is this corporation? How big and how much in control? And really, when you think about it, you know, I mean, you've got people talking about the deep state and all that sort of thing. But how deep does this go? How much influence does this company have to be able to pull off what they do? It is a frightening concept. And so, in in terms... Okay, we're at the back of now, so I'll shut up. Uh, This scene right here was cut out, but to finish up real quick while they're showing this, and yes, Robin Hardy's seen this at the... Robin Harvey and Schaefer seen this uncut print, and they used uh, the Bacchanal sequence as a guide for when they shot the... The May Day Parade and... and, and May Day Parade, yeah. But another question. You remember in Q why one of the biggest reasons they they brought out for uh, why it existed, why they were using it? Because they built it. Right. They know it's fucked up. They know it's broken. They know it's ultimately not going to work. But they got it going and they're making a shitload of money off of it. Even if the people... Well, we can't get into that part yet. Yeah, look at that. How fake is this. But is it fake? I don't think it is. Because certainly when it was being filmed, you, you'll you take a look no, at... No, it's real, I but I'm just talking about, you know, in the story's context. No, but, but the interesting thing about this is as this scene progresses, take a look at Rock Hudson's face. Uh-oh. There's nudity. Yeah, that was the main reason why it was cut. Oh, yeah. Nice spot. Yeah, and you remember what is the literal ver- literal definition of what a Bacchanal is? Well, it's from the word Bacchus, who was a god of frivolity. It's basically an orgy. Yeah, for no reason. Yeah. Well, well, in this case, there are reasons, because generally Bacchus is also connected to the uh, harvest, particularly the wine. 
Yeah, but this is not so, a harvest for Dan, you know. But we said one. And oh my, oh my goodness, God, there's a naked dog up. butt. Holy shit! 1966 and they're showing coochie. Yeah! They didn't even show coochie and blow up. No, they didn't. You had to go see I Am Curious Yellow. You, see you know, I really do feel you sorry for people who see that movie, Carl, and expecting it to be a dirty movie. And yep. <laughs> I wouldn't be getting in there. I'm claustrophobic. When it got that tight, I'd be getting the fuck out. Yeah, really. If I fart and I have to apologize to more than four people, then I'm out. Yeah. See, he's too tight-ass for this. He's uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah. He is definitely uncomfortable. And with that many people in that little hot tub, yeah, I, I would be... I would not be happy with that. Now it starts and to plus, become surreal. you're a gay man trying to hide like you're straight. Do you want to get in there and have people notice what gives you a boner or not? Yeah. Uh, I noticed something today. What? Uh, that guy gave you a boner. It wasn't the girl. And I won't be drinking that wine. Those stinky-ass feet, motherfuckers. Shit. And what about social distancing, Carl? What the fuck? <laughs> Where's the sanitizer, yeah, Carl? Really. Where's their masks? <laughs> God, I'm just sad because that joke is going to age horribly in about not even four months. Yes, it is. It's okay. Hey, listen, you got to give it a try. See, look how uncomfortable he is that a girl's putting the make on him. He's scared of performing with a girl. No, see, I disagree with you. I think this is much more general than that. We put we put the gay context because of Rock Hudson. Now, he not understands it, but that's not exactly how where they're going here. He's more concerned about he can't let go and be free anymore. He can't do it. He can't do it. Yeah. (laughs) And he's lost. He's completely lost. Because this is outside his comfort. Well, let's be honest. Me and you both would be lost in an orgy. Yeah, that's true. Because I hate people. See, and you're conscious about your legs. What? See, he wants her to be back. He doesn't want her. And now he's thrown in. Now look, he's almost drowning. Well, look who ripped his clothes off. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm saying this, this is, is a weird frightening. occasion where we're both right. Uh huh. And that's another reason why this movie is so fucking amazing. You can look at it with the gay context and you'll see one movie, but it, you can ignore all that. Well, I and look it still at works it, well, in a totally different movie. Ain't it cool? See, now, 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 he's, now he understands about being free. But he's still play acting. That's the whole point. The first time that he was with a female and he actually was able to perform. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can wear a mask. I can wear a mask. In and that case, film is so thematically important that I don't see how it could work without it. Yeah. What it, do you think? Well, they cut out that whole scene. It's not like they started it and that. That whole scene is cut from the theatrical. Yeah. And so you go to that where to this. So there isn't that transition, and that transition does mean something. Uh, because that transition then happens later here now you see a different transition and it's much more frightening I am, thank God that we didn't raise, I was not raised in that era where I'd have to go to adult parties and talk to adults and do adult things. Now, notice, notice what's happening here. It's like he's back in Central Station as John Randolph, Grand Central. Yeah. Okay. And what has happened here is that he has <laughs> gone so far... That it all it has to do with with uh, he's now drinking. I don't hate to say this, but that would be my look in that party right there. That look when that guy just barely touched him. Motherfucker, <laughs> <laughs> oh, what the? Did you notice how much that affected her? What word that he said she said that messed him up? Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Old. Oh yeah.
that it's not like you and then he gets upset. That's what you would have to do to fit in back then. Social drinking. And the whole thing is about fitting in. How do you fit in when you're not real in the first place? Uh, no. That's why I like hanging exactly. around our group. No, and, and, and the thing is, the social norms and everything that's done here, you know, they might be somewhat dated from, from 2020. But it doesn't matter if they're dated or not because the idea of being false and trying to fit in, and, of course, the the, uh, the lesson is you, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't put on faces. You should be yourself. How many of us put on masks? We always do. And this is the problem he's having. right now thank you to Rock Hudson for having the balls to show the world what AIDS was like while he was still alive oh absolutely you know one he of the did things more he... for the cause than if he'd given all his money let me put it this way by, by doing what he did remember we had a president who didn't even mention AIDS. Never mentioned it. You know, I don't know how many of my friends and how many people I knew passed away because of AIDS, but it's well in the 20s and 30s. And and uh, for him to come out, it wasn't until he announced he was dying of AIDS and that he was gay that our president at the time mentioned acquired immune deficiency syndrome. It wasn't until after he did that. And thank God he did. You know, it's a shame he died like he did. It's a shame he got AIDS. But, man, what a great sense of, uh, of, of courage to do what he did. Seriously. Yeah, and he said in that Barbara Walters interview, he's like, uh, how do you feel now that you've come out as, gay, as a gay man with AIDS? He's like, I feel great. She said, why? This is the first time in my life I don't have a mask on. Yeah. So notice he's getting drunker and drunker and drunker here. It's the only way he can handle this. And, of course, this is the this is And he downfall. actually really did get drunk. This is method acting. Yeah, this is definitely method acting. Uh, and this is a painful sequence. This is not. This is a rough sequence. This is one of the most brutal movies about any violence in it that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And when people ask me, why do you like horror? Why do you like sci-fi? I'm like... 
Movies like seconds. Oh, yeah. But again, you know, the interesting thing about this is, yeah, it is science fiction, but it's not about the science fiction. It's about what happens to the people and and, and, and all that. It's about, it, it's really something. No, the science fiction is the way to start the conversation. It's not the conversation. No, that's very true. I mean, really, how hor- how horrible is the revelation that's coming up here in about three or four minutes? You know, oh, good God. Seriously, oh, yeah. Their problem is, is that they want to be phony. They want to stay in the closet. They want to hide. Right. Those are the same kind of gays. Who hate the drag queen? Who hates the flamboyant gays? Right. They're the ones who would call someone out saying, you're being too gay. What does that mean? Well, How do you be too exactly. straight or too gay? Well, you know what? They did that with Budacic. He's not gay enough for for, for And that's an issue. That really is an issue. That scares me. I want to see that chart. Uh, doesn't look at guys' asses, is not gay enough, fucks a guy in the middle of the street once a week while telling everyone to, hey, look at me. Who gay? I want to know what it's like to be too straight. Yeah, really. That's one thing you'll never hear from a Mexican. You'll never hear him screaming at another Latino. You're too Latino. Yeah, really. I mean, look at them. They're carrying them off like they did at the Bacchanal, too. Yeah. That's a frightening scene. I seriously yeah, frightening scene. This is what real horror is. Not Not monsters, not You don't uh, yeah. I got right now. You don't have a nephew. What? There we go. Now the real trouble's going in. Yeah, no, tell me about it.
And let's let's not talk about just the pure thoughts of a man, a bunch of men holding a man down on the bed in a drunken state, taking his clothes off. They know. There's no symbolism there, is there? They know. They're like you. Reborn. The reborns. Here we go. Z line. He's a phony in a group of phonies. Yep. How bitter must that taste? That tastes very bitter. I would really love to see the effect that this had on on the gay community once this every every little hidden aspect of this movie came out. That's really something. I'm sure that it wasn't happy a happy reception. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Nobody wants to see the truth about themselves. And that's why we need sci-fi and horror. You know. To face the the, the, the difficult situations. Yeah. I always go back to Mary Poppins. They're like, why do we need sci-fi and horror? I said, Mary Poppins, why? A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Yeah. Except this movie ain't got no sugar. Nope. This movie just shoves the medicine down your throat and the spoon and the bottle. There's a reason why I put on the description that this movie should have had Abandon All Hope, Ye Who Come Inside Here. You think that would be fitting? Uh, to a certain degree. Especially from this point on. Yeah. And let me, and, uh, there's a, t- there's a poster for this little series, the lobby cards. And they use a certain term in this that did coming to the straight community until the celluloid closet came out that when I seen that lobby car it didn't knock me on my ass what about you Carl oh yeah when you showed that to me the other day yeah, it, yeah. it's something that's for sure and what it says is this movie is not for weak sisters Look how warm and happy his regular home looks here. Yeah, this is a rough scene, too. You think this movie could have worked as good as In Color? No. No, I don't. Not by a long shot. 
did you notice that that was Frankenheimer's choice for all three of his Paranoia Trilogy films? Yep. The first one was The Manchurian Candidate, and then he followed it up with this, Seconds. And then the third one is... You know, the first one is is Seven Days in May, which is the first of the three. Seven Days in May is 64. Okay. Just an amazing film. Um, You see, he sees himself... this is really, and this is uncomfortable. I mean, everything he's going through is very difficult. It's, it's everything that we wish we could do, but this is what, ha- you know, everyone talks about, I wish I could go to my own funeral so I could see what people really think about me. Yep. And you know what Frankenheimer says? No, what? You don't want to go there. Yeah, you don't want to go there. This is the scene where he... He doesn't want to go there. He was hoping to go there and find out that she was a boring twat like he thought she was. Mm Mm-hmm. No, you don't. No. And this is this is again coming back to this actress here. She does a wonderful job with this scene, and it's a very difficult scene. It's not an easy scene. Um. Him 
from the way that he acted to her, and now he's changed. And he's trying to, you know, tell her how much he loves her, but not being him anymore. Another problem with the mask. He has a different mask on now. It doesn't work. Doesn't work. I love the way that Rock's eyes changes during this beach. Yeah. Notice we're not saying too much right now. And the reason is, do listen to this speech and his reaction. It's that good. Devastating. Again, how he takes Rock Hudson in the foreground and her in the background with a mirror. Just how that is set up that each is in the middle of each other. It's it's an amazing shot. Mm-hmm. And again, thank James Wong Howe for that. Seriously, amazing, amazing camera work there. said that speech that she gave was really how he felt. Yeah. The more he realized that he was gay. And you know why that's so devastating that she gave him that trophy, don't you? Yep. Because, of course, that trophy is what got him into the mess in the first place. And if you go by, (laughs) you know. Absolutely. This reminds me of the scene in almost every mafia movie where they're taking uh, the guy off to be killed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. And look how much pity does he have for him. Yeah. And that's the one thing I think they screw up is they needed to get a deeper psychological profile of their characters. 
before. Right, so Kate fucked up. Our Manchurian candidate guy. He fucked up. service, but they also know that it doesn't work. That there are so many people that are rejects. Okay, why do they keep doing this? Okay, because why does they have this set up. I know, but why? That still doesn't answer the question why. Just because something is a Rube Goldberg machine that keeps continuing doesn't give you the reason behind it. And this is a question I've always asked about this movie, and I still haven't answered it. <clears throat> and I think it's it's one of the great mysteries of this film. Yeah. Well, in a way, the amount of money that they're probably making off this, it is successful. If they could do this 200% and make it really successful with the clients and not have such a high reject rate, they wouldn't need all this secrecy. Right. It's like all the talcum powder uh, that had asbestos in it that didn't come out about four or five years ago. It's like DDT being spread everywhere in America, and they knew that it poisoned people's lungs. It's like ephemeral. They knew it had horrible side effects on humans, but they knew they could make a lot of money with it. 
So they put it out anyway. Yep. Sometimes you're too logical, sir. <laughs> well, I try to be logical. Tell Vicky that sometime. <laughs> you're too logical in an illogical world. <laughs> it's, it's the uh, it's the uh, uh, philosopher in me. I, I'm definitely have a I have a minor in philosophy, so yeah, that's part of it. I try to figure out why's. And that's our problem. We worry too much about why. If someone was shooting at me, I wouldn't give a good goddamn why he was shooting at me. I would give a damn about not getting shot. And that's the biggest question about chains that they should have done before they did the surgery. There was their fatal flaw. Mm-hmm. They need to find out where they went wrong, and the company don't give a damn where you got wrong. All they care about is, can you pay? Yeah. Can, can you, you give, give us somebody else? Stuff that wants to use your ass up? Yeah. Welcome home. Yeah. I'm going to be honest, you in the past five years, this speech is you. Yeah. It's going to be different. I'm going to move out to California. Everything's going to be better. Four months later, I'm going to move back to this place with this other this print store. It's going to be different. I'm going to make it this time. Four months later, this time I'm going to move into <laughs> yeah. New York City. You're right. You're yeah. absolutely fucking right, man. Where's the logic in that, man? Seriously. Get on. That's scary. That's literally scary. You you pull that together because you're right. You're dead right about that. And it's scary that they're doing this because they can and it's profitable. That's what most businesses, all they care about is profitable. Why do you think they want to cancel this fucking... uh, Shut down because they're not making money. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And this is like, oh, don't worry, sir. Uh oh. I've told you over and over again, I cannot think of anyone. I can't believe that. Ruby, I've been stuck around long enough. I think it's about time I had the opportunity to start living some kind of meaningful existence. Wouldn't that delay my trip to surgery in the event that I were Look how desperate they are right now. Yeah. Wouldn't it be all right if I fucking stayed at home and take care of myself and be healthy and survive? No, that's not an option. There's nothing more dangerous than a for-profit business. 
they bled him dry. Yep. And when you go to the next stage, you hear that, you prayed. And look who shows up. Ah. Uh, and do you believe what he says here? This is great. Yeah. You even, if you're watching this first time, you still don't know what's going to happen. You don't, you, you don't get it until it happens, which is one of the most great reveals of all time. I don't know. When this part came here, part of me was like, what haven't we found out yet? Yeah, exactly. And I was like, da, da, da. oh, shit. We haven't found yeah. out what. Is the cadaver procurement system? Yep. Oh, I'm sorry. When I first seen it right now, I was like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Exactly. I just kept saying that over and over again. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh shit! I was like Ryan O'Neill and Tough Guys Don't Dance. Yeah. Oh man! Oh God! Oh man! Did you 
Do you understand why he asked him if he stayed a prostitute? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Last rights, man. What? Last rights. No. Foreskin. Yeah? No, seriously. If he would have changed his name to Jewish, he would have had a brief and the bodies wouldn't be an exact matchup. Is it this one when you realize that he was a... No. Now you know. Oh, God. See, they ask him because he's given last rights. Yeah, the last rights, too, but the other one counts as well, you know. Uh, the prayer of the dead. God damn. Oh, God, the way he just... And the way and he the way just lingering on everything. Oh, Lord. You know... They could have fucking just ended right here. You know, way before this, but... And look, we're staying here at the end of the hall. Yeah. God. The fact the way he just lingers on this ending, and there's no blood, <laughs> yeah. there's no gore, but you're like, oh God! I mean, just all you've been saying for the past minute is, oh God, damn, you know? Oh yeah. And then that noise. They fade to black on this fucking noise. Well, not, you know, and... Yeah. God, that noise. 
Then, of course, the light, too. You go into the light when you die. You know why he's happy? Because he has a dog. Because he has a dog. Of course, you have this scene of him, and then it all just fades. Just an incredible film. And when this movie came out, about 85, 86, Paramount didn't do shit with this. It wasn't even shown on local fucking TV like Phase 4. Yeah. This movie vanished. I was very lucky to be in New York at the time. And see this at a repertory theater when it was Did released. And actually, it wasn't the, a repertory theater. It was a theater. The release of uh, Manchurian 2? Yeah. I saw both of those. Hmm. Saw both of them. God, what a great film. Thank you so much for for letting us watch this. Just wonderful. Oh, this is one that I just love, 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 love to death. And I've always loved this one to death. I remember being in the borders. This was uh, when I was in uh, Maryland. And all of a sudden, I saw the DVD of this. And it was Criterion. It was priced at, at whatever it was, 40 bucks or that. You know, no, 30 bucks, maybe 20. Well, it might have been twenty nine ninety five at at Borders, but yeah. it didn't matter. It didn't fucking matter. I bought I it right there. Was it there. Do, well, uh, certainly, if I take a look at horror films uh, or science fiction, this is in top five of either. Easily. Yeah. Great film. Uh, and, and again, another reason why I love Frankenheimer. Um, I was um, a young kid, and we went to a uh, uh, drive-in, and we saw the train. It was the first time I watched that movie, and I loved it. And it was the first time I connected uh, a director to a film. And so, in many ways, John Frankenheimer was the first director that I loved. And then to reintroduce myself with his stuff, just great, great director. And and I think in many ways, sort of forgotten these days, or at least not nearly as well. He's known as an action guy. Mm -hmm. No, maybe he he uh, gets in that same uh, uh, rut as Aldrich too, as Robert Aldrich. Who's yeah. also considered action. But God, I love Frankenheimer's work. And his Paranoia trilogy is just so fucking spot on. We're, we are going to be doing the Manchurian Candidate because that is one of the best. I will put that as one of the top five black comedies of the 60s. And it's blacker than fucking spades. Seriously. Isn't it funny how he went from 
black comedy extreme with the Manchurian Candidate to just pure bleakness with seconds. And then the other thing, too, is, is don't forget Seven Days in May, which is more of a tension film. But but that's that's pretty rough too. Each each one has its own own sort of feel to it. Um, well, that's why he calls it his paranoia trilogy. You know that there's this mm-hmm. big conspiracy going on, and there's nothing. Absolutely. Well, at least with Seven Days in May and uh, the Manchurian Candidate. They have hopeful endings. Not this one. <laughs> Not this one. And Manchurian Candidate has had something I've never had any guy tell me they had in a life. What? A girl screwed them because they seemed too tense. <laughs> Just remember, when we get to the Manchurian Candidate, what do you say about me? What? Oh, yeah, okay, Carl first the most kindest, most warmest, most loving person in the world. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. I appreciate that. But in all seriousness, when Jonathan Demi did his remake of uh, Manchurian Candidate, he didn't get it. I can understand no. why he did it because the pieces fit for what he did. Mm-hmm. But he didn't get the tragedy of it. No. No. That, well, when we do that film, I'll I'll really get into it. It it is one of my favorite films, and there are so many Frankenheimer films I love. Seriously. Um. But yeah. Well, if you go yeah. back in the archives and look for our best the lovable speech is in there, isn't it? On that show. Yeah, it is. It is. I think that was a mutual pick, wasn't it? I think so. I, I, you know, we both think so highly of that film. And plus that one speech. That's the one scene where, before that, the character played by Lawrence Harvey is a cold, unlikable son of a bitch. Of course, there are reasons he's a cold, unlikable son of a bitch. Well, he was a cold, unlikable son of a bitch before. Remember, no one liked him. Bah, bah, bah. Yeah, but but you, you know, when you find out what his mother did to him, that's a whole different fucking story. Yeah, but but then that one speech, I was lovable once. That'll destroy yeah. you. Just like that speech in seconds where she talks about how her husband was cold and distant. Right. And that's another thing that Rock Hudson loved about it that uh, I could see the gay community really not liking. Okay, which is? Marrying how a gay man marrying a straight woman appear to be straight could hurt the woman that loved him. Now you're starting you're starting to 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 bounce a little bit, okay? So that's because I'm a basketball yeah, it, motherfucker. <laughs> but it's it's uh, 
Again, I think you put too much of the gay context within the way that it was made because it was not made with that gay context. That gay context was in there, but but it was hidden, but it was us knowing later that Rock Hudson was gay, that it came to fruition. This is more about, about as you said, the suburban, you know, jail. Yeah. It's about... All Don't that. forget, Frankenheimer said him and Rock had discussions on this subject without discussing the subject all through the movie. Right, but the thing is, at that point, he's still closeted, so he's not bringing it up. They're talking about it in terms of, of living a lie, of not bringing any of that into it. You yeah. know, let's remember that. You know, and in fact, Frankenheimer didn't realize he was gay. Didn't didn't even come to any idea that he was when he had cast him. It's not I mean, so much later after. Uh, line about it. Right, exactly. People ask, Did I know Rock Hudson was gay? I'm like, gay? He's fucking Doris Day. Yeah. You know, so Frankenheimer didn't even realize it. Um, but what, you know, the thing about it is that context is still there, what you're talking about, but yeah. it's, it's an added layer. It's an added layer because we understand what happened to, to Rock Hudson. Yeah, and, and, and that's talk- why I wouldn't want them to remake it nowadays. They would take what yeah, I talked about, which is there, but you couldn't see, and they'd probably drag it out into the fucking forefront. Mm-hmm. The, I, the other thing is a sequestered uh, uh, group of seconds of reborns. You know, how, uh, how do you set that up these days? Uh, that, you know... There's a lot to it that that would have to be rethought. Um, yeah, but they were but, able to do a pretty straight adaption of a high rise and got away with it. That's because you're in one building. Now that's what that's how you could get around it. Instead of an or artist calling, or just make it as a indie film and not give a fuck about getting around it. Right. True. Yeah, that's the thing, like we said at the first, that's what the problem with nowadays is that too many directors give a fuck about pleasing an audience. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys we love, like you and Malik and me and Sam Fuller, didn't give a fuck. Yeah. Same with Altman, same and Frankenheimer too. The people yeah. we like are the people that, that make movies for themselves. Yeah. Uh, first. Yeah. And I'm glad that I'm sorry I've been sick this month, but I'm glad that we got two of the la- of the ones we wanted to do out of the box. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. This and happy 100th birthday to Saul Bass, because 
seconds wouldn't have worked without that disorientating uh, credit sequence. Oh, that credit sequence is one of the greatest opening credit sequences of all time. It seriously is. And I didn't mention it, but did you notice that every shot in that ending credit sequence, except for the shot of Rock Hudson and the gauze, was from the end of the movie? Yep, or from the beginning, you mean. Yeah, from the very beginning, it was from the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah, he used the beginning at the end, yeah, absolutely, that's, that's a circle, that's a Sisyphus circle. Yeah. And but how do you like really it, like you got it explained why they kept doing it? I wish it was some beautiful reason, but in the end... It was money. He had fucking stockholders to answer to. He had to continue the fucking thing because he had people who were depending on the money. Yeah, but you wonder how how he would get away with it. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's. It, but of course, the thing is, he's talking about corporations own the world. They can get away with anything, and that's part yeah. of the deal. That's part of the message. Well, there are shadow so organizations. What? I was just going to say, are we ready to, 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 you know, tell people what we're planning to do and go on, or you got uh, something else we need to go over? Uh, no. I don't know what we got worked on for Sunday yet, but we are doing something Sunday because we always do because the producer and the head of that show is a madman. <laughs> That's true. Uh, and I know that... And uh, speaking of gay subtext, Adam Forenz is doing a retrospecting of the Golden Girls. Tomorrow yeah. night on his show. <laughs> Ah, oh, we love Adam. And uh, hopefully this Monday or Tuesday I will be doing a show with Bill Reynolds and, uh, and Noel Vera. And we'll be doing uh, shows that were movies that were very popular that we hate. So we're going to be doing that this this week, this coming week. Hopefully and or if you're free to call in Sunday, the Sunday after it and tell Carl to go fuck himself. <laughs> That's true. There you go. Or while we're and doing the show. Coming up soon, me and Vicky are going to be watching Cube. And hopefully this Saturday, I'm not sure I have to get with them. This Saturday or next, me and Freddie, we're going to be doing See No Evil. I'd rather do Hear No Evil. There No Evil. No, never mind. Oh, hey, that was actually the last good film that uh, Gene Wilder and frickin' Richard Pryor did, See No Evil, Hear No Evil. Yep, that's true. But thank you for listening, and we'll see you in... Hold on, let me get something ready. We'll see you next... Let's see, dude. Next week. Next time, next week, next time, next year. 
Again, thank you much, Stephen. Always appreciate being on. Okay. I'm looking something up right here. Just good night, way. Here we are. Good night, everybody. Good night. Goldside Radio is uh, broadcasting on a frequency of four degrees. We are guaranteed by the government that we cannot see our national anthem. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.